0: Dub Lab. Hello, this is Hannah at Dublab Studio in Los Angeles. Welcome to a new installment of the Arts, Music, and New Tech podcast series, started by Your Moms Agency. Together with Your Moms in Berlin, we have relaunched the experimental music exchange platform, EXP, under the patronage of Wunderbar Together. Today, we present to you a recap of the EXP workshop about spatial sound by Cameron V, a.k.a. Psychic, presented by music tech blog, CDM. In today's podcast, Cameron will walk us through the history of quad sound and how he created the spatial sound open source kit, Quark.
1: Hi, everyone! Thanks for for coming. And uh, I understand it's a pretty global audience for the the timing. Um, my name is Cameron. Um, some people sort of, uh, uh, know me, uh, under uh, psychic, which is, uh, something I've done a lot of different projects under, um, and, um, you know, this workshop is, you know, really, uh, about spatial sound and most specifically quadraphonic audio, uh, really focusing on this and its history, its principles, practical applications, and, and, you know, generally, uh, my angle on it, sort of what Peter mentioned, is really to uh, steep your brain into quadraphonic as as a uh, as a gateway to making music in space in general. So um, I'll go a little bit through a little bit about my background, so uh, you understand where I'm coming from. So I also own a studio in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles called Bedrock LA. It's a 112 room facility with, you know, we calculated 2,500 musicians a week coming through in and out of it pre pandemic. We're, we're, we survived and we're getting back to it. So it's been good to see all of the different um, musicians uh, come back. Um, I also, through that, I was the Chamber of Commerce president of that neighborhood and uh, it's kind of a different kind of neighborhood organization. And we produced a festival called Echo Park Rising. Uh, and some of you also may know my background of uh, producing MoogFest for, for about five years. Um, most recently, I uh, co-created a, a device called PhonoCut, which is a home vinyl recorder that lets you cut anything uh, to vinyl uh, very easily. It's a pre-order thing. Kickstarter did a bunch of great stuff, and you can learn more all about that. But um, most relevant to this, I'm also on the board of DubLab, which is you know co-presenting This, uh, and through DubLab, um, developed uh, Quark, which is what we're mostly going to be talking about and and really why my sort of angle on spatial audio is in quadraphonic. Um, Quark is the Quadraphonic Universally Accessible Resource Kit. thought it would be a fun acronym. And it's based on the principles of 1970s quadraphonic audio. So, you know, if you people know probably the most famous is, is dark side of the moon by pink floyd was a, a quadraphonic record in that era um this was uh supported by the national endowment for the arts through a grant uh and i worked uh with a partner uh named brett button who uh i met during Moogfest, fest and we do this it's completely free this is weekend warrior stuff this is really to advocate for uh, musicians, uh Producers, uh, mix engineers, and and what the future may be. Um, Quark really is uh, is meant to be something that allows you to, f- for free, simply encode four channels of audio uh, and encode it in a way that it can be distributed through things like vinyl or radio in the case of DubLab, obviously, uh, streaming video like YouTube, and even, you know, Spotify and iTunes before and during uh, this sort of uh, adoption of Atmos. So I'll talk through how that all works and and how that makes sense. Uh, It's sort of, you know, it's an interesting time with the Atmos announcement. So um, here's a little bit of history on Quadraphonic. So this is the one and only photo I could find that remotely displayed what quadraphonic could mean. It's kind of a strange thing to describe to people. It's a little confusing, but four speakers, um, is really the basics of it. Um, it, the idea of it actually started back in the sixties, uh, late sixties, uh, there were tape formats, real, real tape formats that, that were there. And, and some of you may even be familiar with four track cassettes that were, um, a thing for for recording it's very the very same principles uh, of this original quad but many people were not listening on on that format and you know radio obviously was big vinyl was big um so a technology was developed to what's called matrix encode audio and taking these four channels of audio and folding it down to two and it uses um uh, phasing techniques very similar to uh maybe today what you'd you'd hear in a phaser pedal, for instance, uh, on a guitar, but also even, uh, uh, the way people use like mid side techniques to really widen, widen audio in a mix. It's a, it's actually coincidentally very modern sounding the way the techniques work. So there on the left-hand side, you see, there's, you know, the th- four different sort of primary formats, uh, and then on the right, you'll see like more modern things like ambisonics stemmed actually from this. And, um, you know, Dolby ProLogic actually stemmed from these original formats. So, um, you know, if, if you think about the ambisonics thing, it was originally, it was something called Matrix H. Uh, which was developed by the BBC, and because it was BBC, it was, you know, sort of freely available where the other formats were all proprietary, and that's really how Ambisonics, if any of you are familiar with that, came to be. Um, in my research, when I started going down this path uh, of sort of rediscovering quadraphonic um, in my my past, uh, doing that, um, I. Uh, I, I, the reason why Ambisonics exists is really because of that BBC investment. And frankly, if you've ever gone into it, it's kind of confusing. Um, and this is really what led me back to quad of how we could do these spatial things in a way that was a bit more musical and a bit made a bit more sense. Um, so this is actually the matrixing math. Uh, it, it's it's quite simple. Uh, even in the plugin that we made, it's maybe a hundred lines of code. It's not that complicated. Um, and if you all are familiar with schematics, this is kind of the schematics. And I found this online. You actually see on the top of here it says QS slash DLP two. And I'll I'll explain a little bit of that. Is Dolby um, actually used this math which we're using, which is called QS? So if you look at those formats, there's CD four, UD four, uh, SQ, and QS. QS was the Japanese format. Made by the Japanese company Sansui, and when that patent ran out, actually uh, Dolby used some of that to create Dolby Pro Logic Two, and Dolby Pro Logic Two is in every single receiver from 2001 to now, and TVs and all that. So, um, if you use Sonos or anything like that, there's a chip usually in your TV that tells Sonos what's going on, and that's usually Dolby Pro Logic Two, and your Sonos system, if you play through the Sonos system actually will decode this quadraphonic audio using Cork, which is based on this original Japanese format. So um, I sort of stumbled upon what is the most universally accessible format based on this 1970s Japanese format uh, that was the patent has expired and was abandoned and then adopted by Dolby. And then that patent expired. So it's that's what makes it free for everyone. Um, it's uh, Dol- Dolby Prologic 2 sounds a bit different, but it's very, very, very similar. Um, so in some of the experiments I did, you can kind of see in this, this is actually um, the polar pattern of Suzanne Chiani's live quadraphonic. Um, and it, it's it was really interesting because. This is that that visual was Suzanne spinning uh the sound around. And it's something we did this at Bernie Grundman Mastering, and it's something that just looked really weird. They hadn't seen anything like that. Um, and so that's what led us to, you know, doing more experiments. I was cut directly to vinyl for that. So maybe wondering, you know, why why would we want to do something from the 1970s now? And there's a few reasons. Um you know, obviously there's all these new formats that are out there. Um, DTSX is sort of more of a film format, but Dolby Atmos is, is the most popular. And there's a lot of activity in that. And there's frankly a lot of activity around uh, virtual reality and augmented reality as well. And making music in space is challenging. Um, if you were to try to do a, a VR project or an ambisonics project or an Atmos project, you're, you're, you're really challenged uh, with the operational flow of it. And what I realized is is some of it has to do with the listening and some of it has to do with the playback and as a, as a or sorry, the, the creation. So as someone that creates music... Um, there are opportunities in front of you, uh, making augmented and virtual uh, music. Um, whatever is happening now with Atmos, which is you know very exciting, and um, even today, if you were to submit your music to a film, what they normally do is they take your stems and the sound mixer for the film. Effectively, you know, when they're doing surround sound, they effectively make a quad mix of your music. So, for independent film, which is you know very prevalent, especially with all the different ways people watch and listen to things, um, if you're able to make your music in quad, uh, it has a potential not only to uh, be upresed or sort of uh, re-rendered for these Atmos things through the vector panning or or whatnot that are in these modern uh, digital audio workstations, but it also is immediately ready for being in a film. So as you make music, you have a lot more opportunities and your music effectively is, is future proof. Um, but on the listening side, if you think about it, um, you know, back when these formats came out and people ask all the time, like, you know, quad failed, why did it fail, et cetera. Like today, uh, I I wonder how many of you actually have, uh, uh, a friend with an Atmos system which probably very few people—and um, just for listening, not even for for uh, creation. And the reason is, is because it's very expensive. So back in the day, um, you know, a quad system was you know nearly five thousand dollars, and um, you know even back then it was rare that people had home stereos in the seventies. Um, you know, and now you can get you know four Sonos speakers for six hundred dollars. You could get even smaller or cheaper speakers for even less on Amazon these days. So um, the accessibility of multi-channel audio is greater than it's ever been. Um, the other thing is creation. So when you're making music in the seventies, it required millions of dollars of investment. It required, um, you know, really complicated systems. If you, if you also think about it, there are, I think the Porta studio wasn't even made until the late 70s and the Porta Studio was the four-track cassette recorder for home recording. Today, you know, every device in your in your pocket, in your hands, your laptop, etc. It's much much easier and much less expensive to make music. Um, of course, if you were to do an Atmos, uh, do the modern Atmos thing, it's it's expensive. You need 22 speakers. You need you know a lot of very sophisticated hardware. Sometimes two computers, and it's just expensive. Um, technically speaking, object-oriented. Uh, formats are much better. Uh, effectively, it generates a multi-channel wave, so it's it's really just a mixed version of your entire session with some metadata saying, you know, this moves here at this time and this goes there, etc. Um, it's really sophisticated uh, and sounds amazing. However, it's uh, it's complicated. Uh, you're dealing on the creation and playback side. You're dealing with calibrating a lot of speakers, Um, the the phase relationships between the speakers become very important the more speakers you add. Um, Obviously, it's expensive to buy them. It's expensive to have all the equipment. So Quad uh, and the thesis of this is really how we all as um, working musicians can get into spatial sound without a massive uh, financial creative and frankly, emotional leap that you have to take. Um, and the beauty of quad is because it's taking those four channels and folding it down to two. That means that it can be literally on any format that exists now. Um, vinyl, uh, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, whatever it is, uh, radio, uh, it's, it's really a versatile format. And there was uh, a real wisdom to when they do it, did it. So, i give you a little background of why I decided to do this, or why why me, basically. So, uh, like maybe some of you, I got curious about all of this. I, I, I listened to like I had a neighbor that had the Top Gun movie, and it had surround sound. It was early Dolby surround, is what it was called, and it was based on this format called Dolby Stereo, which was in the in the theaters. Even though it's called Dolby Stereo, it was actually surround sound. And what Dolby Stereo was was instead of four channels and four corners it was more of a diamond shape. So there was a center, a left, a right, and a rear. Um, and that was the beginnings of surround sound that was a really important inspiration. But I think what, what that did is as quadraphonic went away and as sort of home theater and this idea that you can have surround sound in your home came up, it, it inspired another generation of thinking in spatial sound. So for me, um, I, ha- I'm, I was born in Oklahoma and the Flaming lips were doing these experiments they were doing these parking lot experiments and it resulted in a four disc set that you played four CDs at the same time to create this spatial experience that was very you know hacker kind of kind of approach where you had effectively eight channel audio just with you and your friends bringing together a bunch of boom boxes and this is really what sort of was leading into the DVD era and, and this sort of next generation of spatial thinking. But again, you had to have four boom boxes. So that in the late 90s wasn't always accessible, but you would see these experiments all over the place. You'd see these experiments with the Beastie Boys. They did the quadraphonic stereo tour and uh, their producer Mario C was doing this stuff. And I was fortunate enough to intern there in uh, 98 and get to know some of those folks as well. And that was a, a huge inspiration for me. And later when I worked at Interscope Records, these formats spawned out of DVD called DVD Audio, which was a high resolution audio format of DVD video and Super Audio CD. And I was able to produce these, these albums here um, you know, as, as the producer for the spatial format and learned a lot. I also learned how difficult it was um, we We made these things and sold these things and they did well, but they mostly did did good because they were rare. Uh, they were collectible. Not a lot of people had systems still and it was also incredibly expensive to uh, do all kinds of you know have a studio that did 5.1. Um, there were a lot of theories about um, how you use the center channel or don't use it, how you use the sub or don't use it and I actually found, in doing one of the back records, working with uh, the Dust brothers who were incredible producers. Um, they just the creative thinking around using all of the channels, you feel sort of this obligation to use the channels and it just, you know, really, it, it really muddied up the creative process. And so this is what led me to um, Suzanne Chiani. So when I was producing Moogfest, um, Suzanne was, uh, you know, a pioneer that had been doing all of this, uh, uh, these experiments in the '60s and '70s. Became, you know, this amazing icon and sort of went away and went into new age music. Um, and we invited her back to an event called Dial Tones that we did uh, in celebration of the upcoming Moog Fest. And this was the first time she had come back in in 40 years to doing a Buchla synth show on her own. Uh, and of course, the Buchla synth, if you're familiar with it, uh, the one she uses, the 200, uh, is a quadraphonic instrument. And what's fascinating about it is this was quadraphonic before there was quadraphonic formats. Don Buchla was a huge, you know, forward thinker, and Suzanne learned on this. So, what I learned from Suzanne is, fortunately, we recorded that show. And what I learned from her, if she said something, she said, "Quad is musical." And I really didn't know what that meant until I had this sort of epiphany later about it. And it it led me back to that situation with the Dust Brothers, where if I had just removed the center speaker and the sub from the situation, it's much easier to think about space in four corners and not worry about how you're going to deal with these other items, Uh, you know, with, 5.1, 5.1, the point one it was was really both the, the center and the sub were both really meant for movies. Uh dialogue in the center and the sub was actually LFE. It's not really a sub, it's low frequency effect. So it's for rumbles, it's things like that. But as we were experimenting with DVD audio and SACD, there were these theories of, you know, you get a much clearer vocal in the center. Some people liked it, some people don't. Uh with the sub, where do you cut it off? And effectively it was just a low pass to compensate for people having, you know good or worse you know speakers so when Suzanne said this it really was a a huge epiphany and I realized this artist who had been an innovator of quadraphonic music had never put out a spatial track ever um she this was before there was a, a way to do it so a lot of those recordings early recordings were in mono even so um we were Fortunately, I insisted on recording the show. We recorded the show, a lot of great people, actually someone who's involved in DubLab now, Eli, uh, was a part of that and uh, really important to us documenting this. And I, I figured out through talking with a lot of really interesting people, how to manifest what became, uh, what I'm told was the first quadraphonic vinyl record in, in nearly 30 years. And on the um, through the interview that Peter did, there's some links to all of this kind of stuff, if you want to learn more, but um, it was really surprising because this technology has always been there. It it is it has been sitting there since the '70s through vintage equipment, and then later through Dolby, and then even you know today. And no one had really thought of it this way. And I really found a lot of joy in sort of looking backward to look forward and simplifying things this is quad is is the most basic spatial format there is um so this is us actually in the mastering studio so this is scott Sadio on the left hand side and he you know mostly masters all of u2's stuff at bernie grunman which is his legendary mastering studio and he got really curious uh he was a teacher of mine actually at usc and you know he took a took a moment paused and um uh really went head on uh, him and Bernie and Benno over there to just help me figure out how to make this creative process smooth and at the highest quality level. So there was no, no judgment of, of, well, yeah, this is just some bedroom experiment. These are all very accomplished people doing really interesting things. And when we finally like got the metal made and we're able to, uh, get this thing on vinyl uh, it was magic. Uh, and it was magic because what, what I did was I, I worked with this company in Australia called Involve Audio to make a special decoder. Um, and I realized that this leap from stereo to quad was really, it, it is a leap. It's a true leap. Um, you know, how do I get more speakers? How do I even think about this? Um, and so we included a, a very simple decoder on the left-hand side was the input from the 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 record player and the right hand side is the output which would go to powered speakers or an amp or whatever so very 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 simple uh, and this company involved has been making these amazing uh, hardware based systems on a chip that do uh, an even better version of the quadraphonic decoding that was in uh, vintage equipment so anyway eventually it led to us doing and I'll sort of play a, a little bit you can hear a little bit of Suzanne's uh, music. I'll play a little bit and just really uh, listen to it because some of you, I'm not sure if you've seen, um, there's uh, a video that was posted on the CDM uh, that a uh, quadraphonic quad forum person named Frank, who's also, I believe on this um, this webinar, uh, posted allowing you to use Quark to listen in quad. So if you're if you're listening in quad right now using that, You'll be up, actually, it will decode this very presentation into quad. Um, and the neat thing, though, is that if you listen to it, the method that's being used, like I mentioned, the sort of mid side uh, sort of sound or that phasing technique or whatever, that width that's in the mix, it provides really good psychoacoustics. Uh, not quite to the level of binaural, but um, very good in the fact that it works both spatially in headphones and two channels of, of speakers to where you have a perception of space, but not so much that when you listen to it in speakers or headphones, that your mix sounds strange or off or whatever. If you look back, uh, there's uh, impulse records. Um, if you go to Spotify right now, you can obviously listen to the, the Suzanne Chiani thing. Um, but you can also listen to, um, uh, catalog stuff. Impulse Records, Michael White, uh, he's a, uh, uh, an artist in the 70s. I think he was the string arranger for CV Wonder back in the day. Um, there are quadraphonic pieces out there already because these were all quad encoded at that time. And instead of doing a separate stereo mix and a quad mix that was encoded, all of these releases on Impulse at that time were actually done uh, in, in space. Uh, so We can listen just a little bit of this. Uh, And again, if you have the decoder on, it works. If you don't, you get a little bit of psychoacoustics. This one's a little different because he put, I think, the violin in the front and the cello in the back. So we'll do that. So in your headphones, you kind of hear this sort of wide stereo uh, effect, and that really is the net result of, of the way Quark encodes. Um, another thing that's interesting is um, if you listen to stuff like uh, Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland, this record was actually produced before Quad was invented. But because they were using... Uh, such uh, so much phasing which is effectively this math of quad the the uh 90 degree phase shifts in the rears um you get an amazing quad effect so if you actually play this uh through the quad decoder you get this really amazing uh uh spatial jimi hendrix record that was not intended to be spatial um and it's really cool so in headphones also you can hear sort of the guitars and drums and all of these things sort of moving And that's effectively the same effect. Another one that's really good is Dark Side of the Moon. Um, I'll play that. I think I have to go to YouTube for that one. So I will click on that. Open link. And you can hear all the cool stuff there. So that's a, another really good example. Um, you could hear the cache register and all that stuff super wide. And if you were to decode that, you would have it actually in your rear speakers um, through the way this math works. Um, so uh, in addition to all of the sort of release opportunities and things like that, there are also opportunities just for fine art, for um, installations, and actually... Uh, with DubLab and, and some other creative friends, we've been able to do a lot of interesting things like sound baths and uh, installations at the Los Angeles County Museum and others. And through using something like Cork and just the principles of making quad music, you can create these really incredible immersive environments um, and do it with you know, relatively little. Um, you're able to send audio to multiple places with two channels, uh, and distribute it very easily. Uh, so it's it's really a fun thing. To get some of the basics of how simple it actually is to take steps towards making quadraphonic music, um, it really starts with an interface. Um, most modern interfaces have four outputs. Um, even if they don't, sometimes they'll have a separate headphone output. And this is actually where I did my first uh, experiments with Suzanne is I just had an earlier version actually of this interface and i just used the two headphone outputs and it gave me volume control and amazing separation um and you know you can also use more uh expensive interfaces which is what i use now because of the the processing on this but you know a lot of it comes down to what what you have and almost any interface works except for, you know, maybe ones that the headphone is actually replicating the output. So you probably have the interface you need already. Um, I actually started using this one during the pandemic. This, uh, I one is, you know, has easy speaker control, which is, it's, it's a challenge to control the volume of all sp- four speakers at the same time. Some interfaces allow that some don't, um, and this one actually allows you to plug in two computers or even an iPad at the same time into the same interface. So it's creatively just a really good one that I just stumbled upon through a friend. Um, Speaker-wise, Quad is incredibly forgiving. Um, like I mentioned before, with Atmos and more higher channel count speaker systems, you really, the phase relationship as you add speakers becomes more and more important. Um and when you when you deal with those phase relationships, it can affect what you're hearing in the mix. So another reason why quad is sort of a good place to start. Um, but many of you have probably speakers from high school or college as your B speakers, you know, maybe you have, you know, some NS 10s and some Genelex or whatever, you want to make them as similar as possible. It definitely helps, but you know, through there's a lot of YouTube videos to to calibrate your speakers and you can get close, but you know, for matching speakers work, I use these in our studio at Bedrock, these uh, barefoot footprints. Um, But during the pandemic, I just needed something cheap and easy. And I found these IK Media iLoud speakers that were $300 a pair. So for $600, I was able, that's what these are right now. You can see, I don't know if you can see my hand next to the speaker. They're very small speakers that sound good, and I I mixed uh, an upcoming Patrick Gleason record on them, and brought it into Grundman, and it sounded great. So for very very little, um, it's it's possible to do these things. Um, I mentioned speaker control. Some interfaces have speaker control, some don't. Uh, on the expensive side, there's one like this one that we use. This Grace one that we use in our our studio. It's really good. Very expensive. Uh, this one is less expensive. You can find them on eBay, the SPL one. Um, and it's just easy. You just take your outputs from your interface and you have a big knob to control your speakers. And as you see on this one, you can solo different speakers to make sure everything's good. That control over speakers is just important. So you can get a good listening level. Um, so yeah, so that's the basic setup. So I'm going to use Ableton. Uh, I just really, uh, enjoy i mostly go back and forth between ableton live and reaper uh reaper is incredibly powerful um i personally just have gravitated towards it uh instead of pro tools just because of the the routing um but it's very much like pro tools in that it's a um you know mostly a linear recorder uh and you can do amazing stuff in there and for for mixing i i like to use it uh But for music creation and for sort of more dynamic mixing, Ableton has a lot of great tools. So uh, on the website as well, there's a few different things uh, to download. There's the Quark plugin, um, which is really the thing that folds the audio down and lets you preview stuff. But there's also this tool set called uh, Audio Routes uh, that Ableton made. And it's really, this is sort of some of what it is. If you look in the top left-hand corner, I'm sort of looking at all these things. They have all these cool tools. So there's just a basic panner uh, that they put in there that's really amazing. There's an LFO that can tie to the panner and make it use the LFO to make more automated movements. There's a step panner, so you can make it go to speakers in time with the music. Um, There's this audio matrix if you want to get into grouping and things like that. So just really... uh, helpful creative tools to to make all that work in Ableton Um, so anyway so very briefly this is just an incredibly basic session Um, I I take out the uh, most people would think to route the returns uh, as your speakers but I actually use the returns in this case to headphones or actually this is what's going to go to zoom uh, and then I also use it to monitor my computer. So not really important for the demo, but just to let you know, that's what those, those are. But all I do is I'm, I take three audio tracks. One, two, three. One track is where the Cork plugin lives. Um, and I'll show you, this is the plugin. Um, all this is, is going from all four channels monitoring to encoding it, folding it down to two. This input gain is just to balance things out on your system if you if you so choose, um, and I also am able to listen to what it may sound like when someone listens to it at home. So it goes through both the encoding and decoding process, and then if you're just decoding, uh, like for for folks that just want to listen to audio, um, the the decode uh, is there as well. I usually don't use that when I'm making music, but it's there for that that purpose. So. What's happening is all of the audio is being routed into this cork channel. And then from this cork channel, it's sending four channels of audio to two new tracks, the front bus and the rear bus. And the front bus is routed to my front speakers. And the rear bus is routed to my rear speakers. And this is just a super simple way to easily listen and monitor these different different elements. If you weren't using cork, you could just not, not do it that way. But having cork in the middle allows you to make these creative decisions of what does it sound like when it folds down? What does it sound like when it unfolds after it folds down? And as you see here, I'm just taking the audio from cork and the post mixer is basically channel one, two. And then three, four is the rear. So all it's doing is all the audio is going into cork. The front part's going into the front bus, the rear part's going into the rear bus. And when I hit encode on cork, then it's only going through the front bus. The other thing that I do, you may have noticed in the front bus is I actually add the utility. And the utility is so that I can also listen to mono. And this is super important in mono. Um, When... Uh, because we're using phasing techniques, if there's something panned in the rear center exactly, uh, it will phase cancel. So there's things that you need, creative decisions that you need to make uh, when you when you fold everything down to mono. Uh, you know, some people don't care that it goes away; even use it as an effect. Uh, and some people use things like a isotopes imager to sort of widen it or or just make panning decisions. So now that the session's set up, um, I will. I'm going to keep it on uh, ENCODE so that you can, you can hear what's going on in your headphones. So this is just a simple kick. And then this is the panner. So uh, just a quick note, Ableton made a two panners. I'm going to turn this down in the, my speakers. Ableton made two panners. This one's the new one. It's much better. Uh, it takes much less CPU. The old one was was great, but it, it after like 20 tracks it would just crash uh, your computer. Um, so anyway, so I'm just gonna move this around. You can kind of hear in your headphones. Now it's going to the rear. And it's pretty cool how you can actually hear those differences in your headphones like front or rear right versus front right. Sounds different. You can kind of hear how it's in the back. And that's the beauty of, of, of using something like this system. And so, you know, if you want, you can add stuff like uh, this LFO. And the LFO, I'm going to map it to the azimuth and then run. And then it just moves around. And then if I add, I have this hi-hat here, and you can see the hi-hat, this is the panner for the hi-hat. So I'm gonna move it around. And now I can do a really interesting effect with something like this step panner here. So I can do it in time. All right, so I go in here and I say I want this panner to go to cork. And I'm going to go to the rear and the front. And I only have four channels, so I'm going to make it four. And I'm going to turn off this panner. And now you can kind of hear it go around. I think I need to do eight. Or a star pattern. So these tools are really good, and you can probably imagine what is possible when you start going into tools like this. Um, So yeah, so this is, you know, some basic stuff. Put a snare in there. You can throw it on the right, you know, whatever. That doesn't, not everything has to move. So yeah, um, so that's... That's Quadraphonic and cork.
0: Thank you for listening. We also played The Silver Chord by Simone Jones. Check out the Facebook group EXP to discover other production workshop podcasts and new music. And thank you to all of our collaborators. Peter Kieran at CDM, Bulk Space in Detroit, 4Culture Radio, The Goethe Institute in Chicago, Reboot FM, Your Moms in Berlin, (laughs) and our main partner, Wunderbar, together. Up next is a sample of the Decades in Space album, the new quadraphonic music compilation curated by Cameron V, featuring tracks by Laura Escudé and Sudan Archives, Drum and Lace and Jeff Parker, Jeremiah Chu and Sam Prikov, and BD Wolf and Laraji and RG Osi This was Hana at DubLab. Bye now.
2: My destiny, my destiny Is nice to me, is nice to me My destiny is currently the best for me It's gotta be my destiny My destiny is nice to me, it's nice to me. My destiny, it's gotta be my destiny away. I
3: don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush. I don't wanna 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 rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush. Rush my destiny, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, rush my destiny, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, rush my destiny, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, I don't wanna rush, rush
2: my destiny, my destiny my destiny is nice to me It's nice to me My destiny is coming to me The best for me It's gotta be My destiny My destiny is nice to me Is nice to me My destiny It's gotta be my destiny away. My destiny, my destiny is coming to me. The best for me, it's gotta be. My destiny, my destiny is nice to me. It's nice to me. My destiny, it's gotta be. My destiny
3: away i don't wanna rush i don't wanna rush i don't wanna wanna rush i don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush rush my destiny i don't wanna rush i don't wanna rush i don't wanna wanna rush I don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush rush my destiny i don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush i don't wanna wanna rush I don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush Rush my destiny I don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush I don't wanna wanna rush I don't wanna rush I don't wanna rush don't wanna rush. rush my destiny.
4: space and time Could you stay with me Won't you leave my side Without gravity For there's nothing to keep you from me For oh, there's nothing left